Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Recurve buck down, baby. Oh my gosh, that was freaking awesome. This is my first public land buck. This is my second set of the season. Oh my gosh, I just heard him fall. I just heard him fall. I just shot my Kentucky buck. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. I'm your host, Chris Leppert, and also co-hosted with Josh Luck. How's it going? Doing well. Good, good. Tonight, we have some pretty special guests we have some gentlemen from Latitude Outdoors. We're joined by Alex Chop, Corey Godar, and Derek Bradis. How's it going, gentlemen? Going great. Good. Thanks for uh, thanks for having us on. Yeah. yeah. Anytime. So we're gonna give Josh the lead here. He's got our little list. He's our notes guy. <laughs> oh God. So we're um, gonna we're gonna give him the reins and let him <laughs> let I him am, chat. I am the notes guy tonight. I am the the co-co-host, because uh, Rick is, you know, in his bed sleeping, per usual. So, with any new guest, we usually have them go through, like, kind of a brief history of kind of how they got involved in hunting. They're, like, a brief history of the hunting background. So, if you guys kind of want to give the listeners, like, a brief history, we can, you know, start down the line, however you want. Um, if Alex, you want to go first? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um so I was, uh, I was really introduced to hunting uh, by my dad. Uh, he, I grew up in Michigan and he hunted exclusively, uh, mainly in, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan actually, and that's where he's from. And his family's from up there, so you know he just loved going up there. Honestly, he, he really didn't shoot too many deer. He was more <laughs> of an explorer up there, but he mm-hmm. just liked getting away from the city and all the people. and. Um, anybody who's been up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan just knows it's a it's a special place, and you feel like you're in a different world up there. Um, 
so I was very lucky to be introduced to hunting in that setting. And um, so he never, he, he didn't really let me hunt with him when I was young. You know, he started taking me up there when I was probably six years old to scout. And at the time they could bait. So mm. my job was to carry, <laughs> carry, carry sugar beets, right? And, Man, uh, the Michiganders and their sugar beets. Yeah. We love sugar beets. That's you the... know, the deer love them. And um, so anyway, so that's how I was introduced to it. And it was an incredible experience. I mean, um, we could also shine at the time. So I was a little kid up there shining in the wow. UP. And uh, one time we saw these, I think these are probably two of the, maybe six total bucks my dad saw in about 20 years of uh, they were fighting in the middle of the night while we were shining but man that i was i was hooked i'll at, bet at that minute so um so anyway that's how i got introduced to hunting i growing up we never had any private land so i was not that i have anything against private land but i was forced to hunt public land so um i've never known anything different i still don't have any private land and and that's kind of how this whole Attitude Outdoors thing happened, right? Is because is me and Kev and Jake, who are my two partners that aren't here, we've all been in that same situation, and, and we ended up building these saddles for ourselves. And that's how this spiraled into whatever it is. So wow. That's kind of my hunting background. All right. So did you always just hunt whitetail, or did you do small game yeah. stuff? Or uh, I mean, I, I, just like any kid, right, I've shot squirrels and rat you know rabbit hunting with my dad but the the focus has always been whitetail and that's that's just because i mean my dad was just as passionate as i am about that so that's that's how i grew up gotcha whitetail through and through yeah yep. <laughs> how about there, you Corey? oh <clears throat> kind of a similar story with you know my dad uh hunted um he really was not a very successful hunter <laughs> as, as well uh, but my uncle my dad's brother really got him into it and they you know they my uncle's one of those people when he does things he does it 100 miles an hour and so I watched that growing up you know he was on the bass fishing tour and did that then got into hunting and then he shot a two and inch deer and you know I'm like this looks really cool <laughs> uh, so I, I got into hunting in high school and <clears throat> went you know, as far down the rabbit hole as it goes. And, uh, you know, I grew up in the suburbs of Cincinnati, so I spent a lot of time doing the neighborhood, you know, knock on doors, bugging the crap out of all my parents' neighbors, trying to let me hunt in the backyard and, you know, shooting deer 100 yards from the front door. And, um, you know, I, I love that. And, uh, you know, through that, my uncle ended up buying some land and I got to help him out there. And we did like the land management and learned all that. Um, and, I loved hunting that, you know, I look forward to that every year going out there, planting the food plots, you know, it's, we come back in November, you get me all jacked up. Like, you know, it's the rut, like all this stuff's going to go down. And, um, you know, it just really opened my eyes to it. And what I loved about it though, was just the adventure side. And from that, I kind of spiraled into the whole public land thing, you know, figuring out on my own moving, you know, I'm, I'm definitely an ADHD type of person. I don't <laughs> like to be sitting in the same place. So. My man. You know, I, I would start to lose my mind in these neighborhoods because I'd sit there and, you know, I'm 100 yards in the woods and you see the deer, you know, past the property line and you know you can't move and go get them. Mm -hmm. And I got sick of that. You know, you're sitting there like, I could probably kill that deer if I could go 100 yards farther in. 
and just couldn't do it. So I was like, I need to get somewhere I can move around. I need some land to play, you know? And so I, I started the YouTube thing, got some buddies that, you know, were some diehard public landers and, uh, you know, we dove into that hard and I just spent, you know, I, I, I got in this thing where it's like, I got to make this as challenging as possible. So I gave up on trail cams. You know, I got my mobile set up. I built my first saddle, you know, watching YouTube videos and wow. I hired a seamstress <laughs> and, you know, she sewed this thing for me. And so I literally had a homemade saddle with a homemade platform and I just tried to take on public land with no trail cameras. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. It was, you know, I was about as unsuccessful as it gets. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I learned a lot from that though. And I mean, the biggest thing is I just fell in love with it and, you know, definitely, you know, something I knew I had to do for the rest of my life. So hell yeah. So we're here. You should see the trophy wall at his cabin. Yeah, One day. A 200-inch deer, you It's said? this 200-inch giant surrounded by all these other giants. It's just, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, he, shot, he shot a 223. Wow. Yeah. God. Where was that? It's in a secret spot. <laughs> That's <laughs> in a place where definitely... Are we friends still? Did you say that on our podcast? All seven listeners are going <laughs> to... Well, we sent Chris the address the other day, so... Yep. <laughs> Secret's out well, now, baby. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to be looking at all the borders. And, no. um, how about yourself, Derek? Um, yeah, I'm pretty much similar to both of them in a way. I hunted, started hunting my grandfather in Pennsylvania. <clears throat> I'm from southeast Pennsylvania, about a half hour outside of Philadelphia. Um, just hunted public land because we didn't have private, and we never shot a thing. I never seen anything. I'm surprised I still hunted um, with like the Game Boys and stuff we have when I was like 10 years old. But I just loved hanging out with my grandfather and getting outside and stuff because we live in the suburbs. So being able to drive like 40 minutes to public land was just so cool. And then as I got older, I kind of wanted to start hunting on like my own because I just the way we were hunting with him, I just I was like, I, I want to shoot some deer. So I started kind of branching off. I picked up a bow later in life at like 18. Because I all we did was gun hunt, and I was like, "Well, I could start hunting like before after Thanksgiving." So picked up a bow, taught myself how to shoot a bow, shot my first buck actually my first year bow hunting, which was just dumb luck. Nice little eight pointer in PA, and then similar to what Corey said, back home I picked up a piece of property, private property that was like fifty acres, and I was just getting so frustrated with these deer that I was seeing over the property. Like. like like exactly what you said and I couldn't chase them I was like all right so I want to hunt public land but the public land in southeast Pennsylvania is really hard because it's all Philly guys New York guys it's and it's small pieces with like 50 guys and like a 200 acre thing oh. it's it's a mess so I was like all right I gotta go somewhere where I could chase deer so I took a trip to Ohio where I live now out of state with a buddy of mine and we seen a lot of deer. I shot the biggest deer of my life. Um, never recovered it, but that was it. I shot that deer. I was, I was first time I ever cried over an animal. I was so heartbroken about it. I went home. I had told my girlfriend at the time. I said, "Listen, we're gonna move to Ohio." Like you know, I said, "You move to Ohio with me. We'll get married." Because she wanted to get married at the time, and I was like, "I, didn't, I never. I was still young. I was like, I don't know yet." She said, "Yes, we moved to Ohio." We got married, and now I'm here chasing deer in public land in Ohio. And I was running around with a heavy stand on my back, and actually that's when Alex reached out to me. When I was looking into saddle hunting, I didn't know any of the companies. I didn't know anything about it, but I was like, this is not working. 
the hills of Ohio carrying the stand. Then I started using a saddle, and yeah, the rest is history. I'm what I'm uh, in Ohio, and I'm loving it. What stand were you rocking then? The like original XOP. Okay. With the four sticks stacked yep. on the back. Yep. Oh yeah. That's not the vanish, is it? <clears throat> I can't remember. I think I had. So I think they still had two, but I had one of them. Uh, and the it was the small one. I can never remember. I know they're heavy. Yeah. It was actually like given to me at the Great Outdoors show in Harrisburg. Oh, so yeah. I, I knew a guy who uh, he did their trade shows and stuff for him, and he's like, I told him I was looking in to get like a nice public land lock on set. He's like, Hey, if you come in at the end of the show, I get you a discount because it was the one they used for the show model. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know there was like any other lighter options. Yeah. That. And then I actually seen a YouTube video on saddle hunting, and it was latitude. It was Aaron. It was actually the one that I watched. Aaron Ritter? No, from Next Step. Oh, okay. Aaron Olson. Yep, Aaron Olson. And then we linked up like three days later. So it was gotcha. It was just fate how that worked out. Nice. How long ago was that? Two years ago. Oh, okay. So not that long ago. Yeah, no, not at all. Awesome. So you guys kind of hit on a little bit of how you got involved in the industry. And I guess, Derek, that was how you got involved with Latitude. And once Alex reached out to you. Well, I I had like a YouTube show like Corey did, and oh, yeah. we just reached out through that. Gotcha. What was your YouTube called? Full Draw Assassins. Okay, I've heard of that. Yeah, it was me and a couple buddies that actually met. Well, I had the guy that I went out here the first time with us who started with me, but he was just kind of like a weekend warrior hunter. He didn't care about it like you know what we do. It right. was kind of a hobby for him, and then I got into filming more seriously than when we began. And he, he wasn't about it, so then I moved to Ohio, met these two other guys who live up in northeast Ohio that always filmed, and it was us three, and a kid from Indiana, too. Gotcha, okay. So is is that YouTube channel still a thing? They're in charge of it, so whatever gotcha. they do okay. is up to them. I help them out whenever they need help. Gotcha. Okay. Did you start that? Yeah. So you just kind of gave it to them? No, it was like a passion. It was just for fun at first, and it got serious for me because I love filming and editing videos more than I do hunting at this point. Wow. Just, I don't know. I never thought I'd get like that, but it really is a passion of mine. Yeah, it's your passion. It's yeah. something I'm really involved in. I I don't know, something about seeing the success of the hunter knowing that we did it together, it just feels cool. I feel like you get unlimited tags throughout the year while you're filming. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a slick yeah. way of looking at it. Yeah, so it's yeah. pretty cool. You get to see some crazy places and have a camera in your hand and show their story and see their reaction of me show capturing their story is yeah. awesome. You're in, I, oh sorry sorry go ahead oh, I was just gonna say like the the whole filming thing is I never realized how special that is like he's able to give the gift of memory to people mm-hmm. yep. right like my kids someday they probably won't give it they might not care about this at all right but if they do they can watch me yeah. doing what I love to do. Yep. And the only way that's possible is with what Derek's passionate about. And that's a very special thing. Amen to that. Yeah, that's kind of, I think, Chris and I both resonate with that. I mean, when, when we, what, 2019, I guess, is when we started filming. Yep. I mean, that's one of the biggest takeaways that I could say from, like, self-filming perspective is, like, you can just capture that memory. And then along with that, like, editing the hunt, putting things together, and just, I don't know, having that memory, yeah, you know, right. copy. I mean, sure. it's it, it's a cool experience, like, hunting and filming 
That's, that's well, it's cool. like, so yeah, so my dad introduced me to hunting, right? Mm -hmm. And, but when I started hunting, I was hunting by myself. He was working, yeah. right? So like my dad and I have never to this day really hunted to the, together. Oh, wow. So we spent all that time, he helped, you know, him teaching me about hunting. When I got old enough to where he was comfortable with me hunting, he was working so much and with my little brother's sports and stuff that we never really hunted together. And now he's to an age where he's just, he's not going to be running public land with me. Right. And so Derek filming me is allowing me to connect, like kind of experience that with my dad, right? Because he gets to watch. Yeah. And so that's really cool. And yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. exactly what my grandfather says. Like yeah. he watches our stuff and he's like, I, he's like, I can't hunt no more, but I hunt through watching you guys. Like, yeah. you know, it's like I sit on my couch, I feel like I'm there with you, I know you're there, so I'm hunting through you guys. Yeah. And it's, it's just pretty cool how it goes full circle. Yeah. Yeah. That's really neat. So I feel like while we're talking about filming, maybe we should make our little announcement that we were talking about. Are we cool with that? Because I really want to talk to you guys about this. Um, so this ordeal. Yes, I, do, I really do. I have a lot of questions. Chris, Chris, I want Chris's pins. I want pins, and I want. We'll give you the pen. <laughs> no, I, I just want to hear some stories because I saw some videos, and wow, the the videos you guys put on like Instagram and stuff. Oh boy. You guys got on some great deer. So without further ado, I'll let you talk. I got hired on the latitude and. I think it was June 1st and hired as a marketing director and you know Alex and I like had a talk and I, I knew what he was doing behind the scenes like he was he was trying to get me to tell him what he wanted to hear and that was what we had done a lot. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. He's like this is gonna be great we'll take this to Kevin because you're telling him it we'll have to do it and uh, no, we, 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 we decided you know like it'd be great for the company that if we need to film our hunts and basically create a, our own web series out of it, you know, because being a hunting company, your content drives so much of what you do. It drives your ads. It drives, you know, sure. so much of your website. You know, everything's <clears throat> so visual on the Internet. And, you know, I know Alex can probably explain this a lot better, but, you know, it's very important to him that the people buying products from Latitude Outdoors realize that the guys making the products are, are just like them. You know, they're mm -hmm. hunters. You know, they're, they're public land not even necessarily public land, they're just mobile hunters trying to, you know, do what they love and they happen to be making a product that makes it easier for them to do that. And so our goal was to create content that shows the process that we're going through as hunters to hopefully resonate that or explain that, you know, we're creating these products to aid in this process and to make it easier for people that are trying to do the same thing. And so we decided to, you know, basically create a web series. And uh, through that, you know, Alex is like, dude, we got to get some guys. You know, we need some camera guys. We need a crew, you know, if we're going to do this. And we can't all self-film. I mean, you know, at the time, like, you know, Jake, Kevin, Alex, I don't even know if they knew how to turn a camera on. And you know, <laughs> so we, we tried. Yeah. <laughs> I, last year, I tried to film all my stuff, and it didn't work. Yeah, Rough, huh? So we, I mean, was, anyway. we knew we needed a team. And, and we were like, we got to get Derek. You know, we both knew Derek. And Derek's like, he's one of the most passionate people I ever met in the whole hunting filming world. And he's super freaking talented at it. And so we reached out to Derek, you know, and connected through that. And he's like, dude, I'm in. Let's go. And so 
it just it just started. But yeah, we spent the whole fall. You got five states, six states. Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> Man, it was fast and it was hard. And yeah, it was the most fun I've ever had hunting. Yeah. I'll bet. And I only shot one deer. I missed some, but I only shot one. And you know, like you, a lot of people are so they put so much pressure on killing deer. And I've never had more fun in my life. Compared, this season was the most fun I've ever had. Hell yeah. And man, it was just fast and it was it was exciting. We explored so many new places. We went to so many new places that I've never seen in my life. And it was a blast. And we documented the entire thing. And so we're gonna um, release that as, I don't know what these guys are gonna do with it, but uh, hopefully they're kind to me because I had some embarrassing <laughs> moments, uh, to say the least. And um, But, like Corey said, it's very important to me personally and us as a company that we show people that, like, we're the same as, as the, you know, it's always like company and customer, right? But that's not how we are. We see ourselves as the customer. Yeah. I mean, we, we just love to hunt. That's why mm -hmm. we're doing this, right? So it's important to, to us to show people that and, and to show people what's happening behind the scenes and why products are being released. That's amazing. Yeah, I think it's gonna be a really cool series, just hearing stories from you guys and what you guys were just saying. Or do you have a release date? Yeah. <laughs> kind of. We, we actually talked about uh, launching the trailer at the deal. Latitude Film Festival <laughs> at oh. the Mebel Hunters Expo. Okay. And if that's a possibility, and then bringing that you know, to the internet, um, but we're hoping to air the show basically end of summer at some point, starting right. around there. I like it. What's the name going to be? It's going to be called Grit. Grit? It's on paper now. We have to roll with it. We got to I like it. Solidifies I it, huh? I, I like that a lot. the perfect word for the, the best. mobile hunter, yeah. right? Yes. Like, grit describes a mobile hunter to a T, and it, it's a little bit, it's almost a little cliche, but the definition of grit is too good to ignore. I mean, it's just a word that totally describes resilience, and that is public land hunting and mobile hunting in general, not yes. just public land. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. You're grinding and you're doing what you have to do to adapt and get it done. It, and it's the perfect word, and that's what we're going to roll with. So. Love it. I agree. No, I'm excited to watch. Yeah. Grit is what separates people. Right? So, yeah. can we chat about who has been filmed, who all's been filmed? Can we talk about that? Yeah, all the you, all the guys who hunted. Um, how many cameramen did you have this year? Basically three. Two, three. Two and a half, two and a half, three, because you hunted a little bit. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be a half. Three. Yeah. You'll so be Derek, a half. Oh, I, 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 <laughs> oh. So Derek. One in the hunt. So Derek like runs the show, right? Okay. On the filming side, and then Corey. Um, and we're very thankful for Corey. He sacrificed his entire season because we couldn't afford another camera guy so he took some of the <laughs> he filmed a lot for us and um and so we also had joey yep and joey Joey's is an incredible an incredible star how do you, you guys this, did he kill a big deer this year this, yeah he killed i don't know some giant yeah <laughs> how do you pronounce his last name yeah. pavlovich yeah. The, okay Ooh. yeah i've seen him yeah. online 
I think I got that right, Joey. I'm sorry. You're nasty, <laughs> I called Joey Powell. I don't even try. <laughs> Joey P. Joey Big Buck Killer, man. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, Joey, he's great, and he's really talented with the camera, and um, he's going to be working with us for as long as he'll work for us. Okay. Because he is just a very talented individual. Um, and then hunter-wise, we had myself, Jake, and Kev. And okay. then um, Jake Bush as well. Did we... The grit's still being filmed. Yeah. Technically. Yeah, baby. Mm-hmm. Jake, yeah. you know you know Jake Bush, right? He's still grinding as hard as he... I've heard of that guy. <laughs> I heard he went to the cool show that uh, Corey yeah. talked about earlier. but Yeah. Yeah. He so, just He just posted on his Instagram story... I think it was today. He's got some deer that he's after. And yeah. He went in the scout today. Yeah, him and Derek are. Yeah, I'll hunt with him on uh, Friday. On Friday. Uh, is, is he going to kill? I know he's got a. I know. Well, I know Jake Bush out. has a kill plan. <laughs> said He said he had nine hunts left today, so yeah. that's. Plenty of time for Jake Bush. Plenty no, of time for old. Jake Bush. Yeah. I talked to him the other day and told him. I was going to flip my lid when he hoists that deer, man. Because that'll just be, that'll be the coolest story of all time. A guy pushing through to kill that caliber of a deer. That guy could easily go kill a 130, 140, 150 inch three-year-old buck tomorrow. No problem. But he's hunting mature public land deer. And oftentimes, like, not just mature, like, five and six year old deer so um and they're they're big he's hunting a different animal yes like he he's he's playing a whole different game yep and and when you're playing that game you're not even seeing deer no because those big bucks are are they're nowhere near all these other deer right and so i mean he's it's a very difficult game that he's playing and but he's good at it and that's what I mean, that's what gets him up in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. And, so, and so he's still going, and, and he's on him. If there's yeah. anybody that's going to get it done, it's going to be Jake Bush. I know. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I got to hand it to him. He's I, not, nothing against anybody, but you, you see lots of guys that will try and play that game that are after a certain caliber deer, and then you get halfway or three-quarters of the season, and then they, they change their standards, right? Their standard becomes lower, and they'll, they'll yeah. shoot a deer that they pass, like, way earlier in the season. Nothing against that, but, like, you know, Jake Bush is out there just, like, he doesn't he, – his standard is his standard, and that's what he goes after. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of respect to him for doing that for the entire season. Right? Yeah, and he had a big challenge this year with, this, like, the places he hunts. I mean, all of Ohio. Yes. Yeah. Strick him at EHD. Oh, so he it was had, bad this year. He had that in his corner that wasn't going for him, and then now he's in January, so he has that going against him too. So, I, I mean, yeah. the fact that we're even on deer right now that we could potentially kill with him on film before the end of the season is just shows yeah. who he is. Well, if, if you're hunting big woods this time of year, there's no cover anywhere, and try and get somewhere oh. quiet, yeah. like, it's tough. I mean, just the other day they were out there hanging trail cams till midnight. Really? Wow. Like his, his, his effort level does not vary from, when's the opener? September 24th? Yeah. September 24th, it is January 25th. And his effort level has not changed. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible, right? It's I mean, amazing. It's hunting season. That's how he looks at it. Yeah. He told me it's hunting season from these dates 
it doesn't, there's no slowdown. It's this date I can start, this day I can end. It's going to be 100% in between those two dates. Oh, freaking lose it. He hoists that deer up. I'll go nuts. So, who else you got on your team? I mean, I think we should probably dive into the latitude, guys. What do you think? Talking about Jake and Kev. I mean, <clears throat> I love talking about Jake and Kev because they're just – and Alex. Like, what's so unique about the latitude, guys, is the three of them as a whole could not be more different. And I mean that genuinely. But it's the best thing for them. Like, <clears throat> there's just three total polar opposite personalities, but they work so well together. And it just translates straight into their hunting. Like, it's just totally different styles, which is what I think makes it so unique to watch. Like, from a filming standpoint, you know, you step back and there's just so much you can take in. Because Alex has a very aggressive, I'm going to go get them style. I'm going to bump a deer out of a clear cut and dump them. You know, and he's not, <laughs> you know, he's going to wake up at 2 a.m. and try to beat the deer back to bed that's still bedding in the, in the dark. And I'm like, Alex, what are you doing? You know, but we'll try. He tries. And, you know, like, Kev, Kev is one of the smartest human beings and most competitive human beings I've ever came across. Like, Kev has a master's degree from Notre Dame. He's, he designs a lot of our products. Like, he's highly, highly analytical, type A. Everything's tracked and calculated, and it translates into his hunting. You know, the first time I hunted with Kev this year, we, he killed a buck in North Michigan. In camp oh, okay. 30, I remember that one. Yeah, with 30 dudes that are just killers, and Kev's the first one to shoot a deer. And I'm like, Kev, like... Look what you did here. But, I mean, he, you know, Kev hasn't been hunting that long. But Kev is so analytical. Like, he's so tactful, and he just he figures things out. And watching that play out as he hunts, is it's awesome to watch. Because, I mean, he, he had probably the least amount of experience in that deer camp, and he killed the biggest deer in the camp. You know, and it's just freaking awesome. You know, it's, it's just neat to watch. That was up in northern Michigan? Yep. Those picks look pretty beautiful. Now, was what was that, like late October? or First week. Of October? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's northern Michigan. That's, that's mm -hmm. like our November. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was one of – so, so I, have, I obviously live in Michigan. I'm from Michigan. And, but I've never hunted up there because <clears throat> um, we were way up. So I've been to the UP with my dad as a kid, uh, but I've always lived in southern Michigan. Yeah. And um, so that's where I've hunted. And we were way up – in the northern part of the lower peninsula okay and um man that was a special trip i mean the colors on the trees like i remember them vividly. alone like that sitting in that was incredible but there's a bunch of elk yeah i was getting ready to say you got to tell me like and i knew about <laughs> growing up in michigan i know about the elk but i'm like but but Okay, I gotta tell the story. Gotta yep, tell you gotta story. tell the story. So the first night, before you get there, You'll this like is the this. first time we've hunted together. Yeah. I'm like, Corey, we got him. We got him. <laughs> and, and then we're going to this spot, we're just seeing these giant rubs, and I'm like, oh, we got him, dude. And so we're going in, and um, we set up, we find this like beautiful textbook scrape. I'm like, we got him. We <laughs> <laughs> we're sitting there, not seeing. We blew a deer off the point, yada yada yada. And uh, we're sitting there, and the sun starts to go down. It's prime time, and you hear, shh, shh. I'm like, dude, we got him. <laughs> like he's coming here. I see like the biggest bodied deer I've ever seen, and I'm like, Corey, I thought I was about to shoot the Michigan State record. Yeah. I'm like, Corey, there's a giant. There's a giant. There's a 
you miss Northern Michigan, I'm like, the best I could do is like maybe like a nice six point ear. It's like, that's what I'm going for. And I see this deer, I'm, what I think is a deer. I'm like, oh man, here, we're going to do this, Corey. This, this, this is my first time ever in Michigan. And all, yeah, first time all I've ever heard about is the deer. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm watching Alex, and this wasn't like he's telling me this is a big deer coming. Like, I felt the adrenaline coming out of his body. Like, we're about to, to shoot honest, the biggest like, deer in Michigan. I mean, to be honest, I'm usually pretty, like, when the deer are coming in, I'm not too animated. Sometimes. 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 You know, <laughs> well, this time I was extremely <laughs> Like, I could feel myself. He's like, buck. Big buck. <laughs> Real big buck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, it was a giant elk. Uh, but it was awesome. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, where the hell am I right now? Big old six by six just like, comes down the trail at us. I couldn't us. believe it. I, oh. I'm not I'm a Michigan whitetail guy, right? Like, I've never hunted elk. I've been yeah. out west, like, I'm a big fisherman. So I've been out west a lot fishing, but, like, I haven't been that close to an elk ever. And I'm like, <laughs> whoa, that's incredible. And I'm in northern Michigan. So that was, I mean, it was an incredible trip. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was Damn. Really cool. Northern Michigan sounds pretty awesome that time of year for sure. Yeah. I I can't get the pictures out of my mind. I remember. And I think I think I talked to you maybe during or right after that trip cuz you showed me a shot where you were like, "What what are your thoughts?" And then I was like, "Well, I forget exactly what I came up with, but um, I don't know if you guys ended up finding that deer or not. Did you find that deer?" So that was Alex's deer and he, you got the one thing to learn about Alex is he's extremely modest and he's he's an extremely good hunter. But he did shoot two deer this year. He didn't shoot one. And the second deer, I think by most people's book, should have been a dead deer. But this was a mystery that we still probably won't figure out. But okay. he, he did shoot a good one up there. Man, I remember seeing that thing. I mean, for Northern Michigan, like I mean, I I was really excited about that deer. Yep. Really, Northern really, Michigan, really good deer. That deer, first week of October in northern Michigan was a big accomplishment for me personally. Okay. Right? Like, there's a lot of better hunters in Michigan than me. But for me personally, that was a big accomplishment for me to go up there and just some random. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we've never been up there, right? And um, unfortunately, we didn't find the thing. And Can we talk just a little bit about your strategy going into that hunt? Yeah. Um, I, I want to hear what it's like. It's like down in Ohio where we've got the white oaks raining. Is it the, the same up in northern Michigan? Or are you targeting different food sources? Yeah, I mean, this was probably the most calculated hunt I've ever had, which right. is what, when I say big accomplishment, it's mainly because of that. Right? Okay. I mean, um, so we went up there, and it's, it's all big woods, right? I mean, there's mm -hmm. it's like barren, vast woods. And then you have... Uh, the only oaks that were falling were red oaks, and it was very sporadic. Mm. Um, so, are, mean, I, are they on those that time of year, or are really, you? Yeah, okay. Yeah, they are. I mean, there's not much up. There aren't crops up there. Okay. So there's no. There's really no crop, and um, so we we went to this area mainly because of the name of a lake. I'm a big sign guy. <laughs> okay. And, um, <laughs> So there was the name of a lake, but I'm I'm just kidding. But there was a point. It set up perfect for the wind, right? I'm a big, like, I believe in the whole Dan and Fall 
what he, everything that he preaches, like, I do believe in that only because I've observed it. Sure. And um, so that's how I was e-scouting. And one of the spots I marked set up perfect for the wind that we had uh, for that morning. And um, on top of that, the name of the lake played into it. And I'm not going to say what sure. it was because everybody will know what it is. Right. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, we went and scouted it. Uh, Corey and Joey. Joey's with us. And... Um, and we're walking around, and this is one of the only areas we found acorns, fresh acorns actually on the ground. They were all red oaks, but there was actually acorns on the ground. And then we were walking around this clear cut and actually bumped a buck, you know, probably what, like 300 yards below the point that I was, mm -hmm. that I was eyeing on the map, right? Um, so we bumped a, a decent buck. It wasn't the buck I shot. It was a different buck. Um, it, that cut was really interesting because it was... It was a select cut, and they left the oaks in the cut. Yeah. Ooh. And so when we got to the edge of the cut, the first thing we saw, there was an oak dropping, but there was a buck bed basically under the oak in the cut. And, like, the wheels started spinning. I was, you know, watching him oh. figuring this out, and we kind of took a couple steps forward, and this buck just stands up at, like, 30 yards. Yeah. I mean, we, it was one of those situations, right, that we walked into <laughs> – and we literally like got to us and we did we bumped a deer but we would have turned around anyway because it's like we got to stop and get out of here and we're gonna hunt here and uh you'll see this actually in the episode oh, you'll see all sweet. this in the episode the just the conversation that was happening but it was like all right this is so obvious let's get out of here and then kev shot his buck that night and so everybody's back like we tracked the deer that night and like everybody's back partying I'm like, dude, cat. Like, I mean, I love a party as much as anyone else. I'm like, dude, I gotta hunt in the morning. It's like, like I know that I have to be there. This is the morning. I gotta go. This is my only chance. And so I put myself to bed, and poor Joey, <laughs> poor Joey went to oh. bed too, so he could get up with me to go film. He probably <laughs> thought I was nuts. And um, I think we were still. I like hearing the fire. When 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 I when I woke <laughs> up. Oh my god! When I woke up to go with Joey. They were still partying at the fire. <laughs> Dang. So anyway, I mean, we left really early. It's neat to so. hear the perspective though of the cameraman. Like, understand if you want to be a cameraman, you're taking your ass to bed with the hunter. You well, gotta go. I, know, I felt bad about that, but I mean, you just you know. It, it, the, yeah. it was such a perfect morning. Everything was perfect, and it was the most calcul it was one of the most calculated hunts I've ever had. And so, and even the shot, mm -hmm. like even my shot was exactly where I wanted it, and it just man, it didn't work out. How how far? So you said you stopped once you bumped that buck. How far into that point did you get to hunt? Like, did you go past where you bumped that buck? So we were when we bumped the buck, we were way at the bottom. Okay. So when I when we hunted it, we were way at the top, like literally sitting. Up. I shot him. Gotcha. Ten yards from his bed. So did you like wow. loop way around to get towards where you wanted uh, to be? It, this is going to be impossible to describe without a picture, but yeah. like, um, the access brought us in. We were able to access the point perfect too, which is why okay. it was just a Man. perfect storm, right? I mean, we had to be there, and and, and so, 
unfortunately we didn't recover the deer we had, we got a tracking dog and um i mean we searched we had blood for three miles three, three miles three wow. miles mm -hmm. so we watched the video That's right before the dog yeah before the dog so and this is i have to ask this three miles guess or three miles no, like you're tracking Oh my gosh. And so there's a big learning here for everybody, but they, for me, it's about like, this was a big learning moment, right? When you film, it changes things, right? Cause you can see where the shot is and some shots look good yeah. on camera, mm -hmm. but when you are tracking, it doesn't look good. If you didn't have that film showing the shot and you saw the track, you would stop. False confidence. False confidence. Cause of that film. Yep. And we're like, we saw where that arrow went in that deer. He's got to be dead. And we had blood and we kept going. We waited four hours before we started the track. And looking back, we should have stopped. Like, we didn't, if, if I didn't have that film, I would have stopped. Do you feel like you hit the deer just a little back? No, I think I hit it a little low. And I, well, actually, I don't, I, I don't know if I would change where I put the shot. I think really? I, there was a weird deflection, so I found the arrow, and this is another learning thing. Oh. I found the arrow sticking perpendicular to the ground. In other words, like straight into the ground. So you hit something hard. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think I had a weird deflection. Yep. And, I mean, he was bleeding good right off the bat. I mean, everything was textbook like dead deer. And then... Man. What, um, what broadheads were you using? Uh... I was using, I always, and I will continue to use those for the record, so I will say the company's name. It's this Exodus uh, three-blade um, broadheads. I mean, I've mm -hmm. used them for... Uh, fixed head? Yeah. Okay. I've used them forever, and they fly phenomenal. Like a dart? Oh, yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. I can't think mm -hmm. of the name. You'd know. I mean, they're a big mainstream <clears throat> brand. I don't know anything about They're not a big cut, them. are they? No. Yeah, they're they're, small they're, they're like an inch and an eighth or yeah. something like I've that. I've killed a lot of deer with those. Okay. And I think that um, I don't use a heavy arrow or anything like that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I shoot a 65-pound draw weight. And Any idea what your total weight arrow weight is? I can't remember. I, okay. I shoot the, um, so the Exodus arrow, the, not Exodus the broadhead, but Exodus the trail camp yeah. company. Mm -hmm. They came out with those awesome They're, they're MMGs. Yeah. How do you like those? Oh, dude. Sick? Yeah. Awesome. I mean, right out of the package, they're flying like darts. You know, usually there's a little bit of tune. You'll have a little tailing or something like that going on, at least for me and my bow, and I'm no archer. You know? <laughs> but these things right out of the package, and they're shooting darts. Nice. For me, it's awesome. Um, yes, yeah, so I got the Exodus broadheads and the Exodus arrow. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> You know, to cool. self, Total coincidence. he likes Exodus. <laughs> we, yeah. We've had similar experiences like that with your deer like my 2021 ohio buck we had it on i had the shot on film and it was like split 50 50 in our group as far as how the shot looked um, chris and i both agreed i mean when I, I watched the deer after it ran off it ran off like 15 yards stopped acted like nothing happened and then like just walked slowly flicked away. its tail flicked its tail slow walk and i was like based on that i was like Liver. it looks back <laughs> and then going if you look at the film i mean it looks like a good like double long shot but based on how it acted i was agreeing with chris we had a conversation in our group that it was back but then like the other guys were like oh that's 
the deer will be dead within 100 yards, like looking at the film. Yeah. And that, that's not what happened. Yeah. Um, and then as far as the deflection goes, uh, um, who had the bad deflection? Uh, Bob. Bob had the bad God. deflection. And that deer bled a ton. So he took a severe quarter-to-way shot with a, you ever mess with a Ramcat broadhead? I haven't, but a lot they're, of people like those. They're very sharp, very yeah. solid, um, but a larger cut. I think they're like an inch and a quarter. Um, so for a fixed blade, they're on the bigger side. Takes this severe quarter-to-way shot, aiming around the last rib. Hits second to the last rib, I think and the arrow doesn't go in. It rides the cavity, the, the rib cage, oh. all the way down, goes through the armpit between the leg and the cavity, never penetrates the cavity, and then comes out the, the chest, like left of the brisket there. And he doesn't, obviously he doesn't know this. Yeah. He just saw the arrow go in and then the buck you know, hops 20 yards he, and then... He had that one on video too, right? At he had it on video. Yeah. It's on video. So, and it's standing there. And then all of a sudden he starts stomping and snorting and then bounds off. And all of us are looking around like, what the hell yeah. is going on? Well, I went with him. I, man, we were talking earlier about our babies, right? Well, my son was like six months old or something. And uh, he had... Uh, croup and was screaming all night. I didn't sleep hardly at all the night before, but try to be a good homie. Hey, if you need any help, let me know. I'm there for you. I didn't think he, <laughs> I didn't think he'd ask. He's like, okay, I'll pick you up around 930. I'm like, oh shit. And, and so I thought, you know, something weird's going on. We'll go out there and we'll look for an hour or two and I don't feel good about the body language. I'm very big on body language with deer. You can generally tell I don't feel like I've ever been deceived by a deer and their body language uh, one time maybe. So, but I was young and still learning. Anyways, we got on good blood and I'm thinking, man, we're going to find this deer. You could smell his tarsal scent. You could smell him where he had bedded. This happened like eight or ten plus times. Um, we had good blood. We didn't track. Uh, Bob tried to do uh, just a direct route, and we went like a mile and a half, like as the crow flies, not the twisty, turny stuff through brush and everything. We crossed like two or three different roads. We finally find this deer at 2.30 in the morning. And he's alive. Oh, boy. And he had hit the brachial artery. Now, when I say we had good blood, we had good blood like we're about to find that deer in 20 or 30, 50 yards all night. Wow. All night long. The blood was amazing. It's the only way we could have went that far without a dog. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> but the reason we were able to uh, also is because we had four guys. So, but we found that deer and had to put it out and when he you know opened it up the next day what i described to you had happened he didn't realize that the arrow never penetrated the cavity That's so crazy. it's insane man it's just stupid stuff happens 
And I think that would have happened. Heavy arrow, light arrow, medium arrow. It's just the angle of the dangle and where you hit. And well, you fell part, victim to it. It's part of bow hunting. Yep. I mean, God. He made a good shot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like he took some crazy shot. I think the deer was like, what, 18 yards or something? Was, it was, was super close. close. Yeah. So it's not like he did that at 45 or something. So anyway, just a little... Uh, rabbit hole. You made me rabbit hole. I'm I did. doing good that was my sitting fault. here letting these guys talk. All right. Well, we work so hard on like getting the shot, right? Yeah. But like the post shot process is just as important. Dude. Because if we would have stopped on that deer that I shot in Michigan, we would have a dead deer. I, I, I know that. I know that. So you, so what are you thinking you hit if you think you would have waited? Liver. One lot. Okay, all right. So I obviously thought of a lot about this, but sure, you know, I yeah. Mean, I mean, we got we get like you said. There's 30 guys in camp all watching this video. Yeah, you know, all guys that are in hunting industry, guys who've hunted for years. I, I mean, we got Dan Infault in camp looking at the video, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. No one knows what's going on, and um, but we should have stopped. We should have read the blood, not the video. Yeah. Man, that's a good. Damn good lesson, really. Yeah. The the false video confidence. Mm -hmm. You you hit me in the feels a little bit with your comment, by the way, about the post shot stuff. Mm -hmm. When I killed my Ohio buck, and when he did his can uh, his Kentucky buck was way worse. Actually, we'll talk about it. Um, we trailed that deer until what time was it? We found it at midnight, twelve thirty. Yeah. And what, we Corey, what time did you? What leave? time did you we? Helped us. Oh yeah, it was there. Um, <laughs> I probably left it Long 10 o'clock we went and got Wendy's probably about 10 yep. o'clock at night yeah. yeah yeah you left and then we went back we had a dog and the dog took a while and as a crow's flies that deer was only 200 yards from the stand yep. it wasn't 250 maybe it wasn't far we, we didn't find it until midnight yeah yeah and that, that was that was a situation where it was quartering away it was a hard quarter away it was actually, the deer was actually courting way harder than I thought, but I was aiming last rib and I pulled my shot. Um, so already aiming back, I pulled it even further back. I actually hit it in the front side, what, ham, like in front of the hip. And then it exited liver side. But and yeah. we, we let, the, I let that deer sit for, what was it? How long did I let that deer sit? 12 hours? Yeah, 10 or 12, 10 <laughs> uh, at least. 10, 10. Yeah. We got there. You shot him in the morning, right? Yeah, it was I like 5.30, 5.45 when I got there, I'm pretty sure. And yeah. You shot him at 7-something in the morning, didn't yeah, you? I was only in the stand at 30. Cheesel. But to go back to my original point, we went, did all that walking, all the briars and sweat and everything, and we finally find this deer. It's midnight. We still have to pack this animal out, which means mm -hmm. cutting him up and all that. But we had to do the post shot, the, you know, the post recovery interviews and pictures. And then we're like, okay, uh, you know, who are our sponsors? We need to get this and that and uh, take a picture with that and this. And I'm like, God, this is actually a crap load of work. Yeah. And then I had to go to work the next morning. Yeah. I think <laughs> I think I got home at like, just before 3 a.m. or something. Mm -hmm. Might have been. No, actually, it was after 3 a.m. Because no, I got home at like 3 or 3.30. Yeah. It was 3.30. I, I was playing Matchbox 20 
Yeah. yeah. It's 3 a.m. and it must be lonely. Yeah, walking out, we were singing that. So You know what's interesting about that, Josh, is you know we're talking about the false confidence with filming. You filmed that deer, but the one thing about it, you, you basically told me and Chris when we got there, is you didn't get a great great footage of the entry of the shot. Yeah, I had, a, I had, had a limb in my had you got leg. that, we probably wouldn't have been tracking that deer. Yeah. You know, based off where you hit him. Yeah. Which probably was vice versa of Alex's situation. Yep. Yeah. That, that's, but we did track that deer. And that's then a very good it. point. You know, it's, it's such a situational because thing. That's very true. Yeah, I found the arrow and then based, because I admittingly, like, I had buck fever going on and it, I mean, I basically, you know, I saw, I, I hit, I knew that I hit the deer, didn't know exactly where. And I went to look back at the film and there was a limb in my way, so I didn't get it on film. Um, so I was going off of the blood that I found on the arrow and the blood did say I hit it back. But it was the arrow was drenched. Yeah, and I was like, I okay. That. Based on that, like we let it sit, you know, eight ten hours, the deer should be dead. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it might have died in that time frame. And it just took us that long to find it. But I mean, there's also a good chance that it didn't die in that time frame. And like you said, we wouldn't have like went out that soon and and went to try and recover it. Maybe we would have waited like the next day. So yeah, absolutely. So, to kind of round us back here, we got, we're rabbit holing now. <laughs> we're back to our original selves pretty quick, Josh. Yeah. Um, no, so you guys had a pretty amazing trip up in Michigan. Um, <clears throat> I'll let you talk more about if, if you wish to share any other people on your team, locations, anything like that, if you want to. I know Corey and I have had multiple conversations about not even mentioning states. You can say Michigan because... Ain't nobody leaving Iowa and Ohio to go hunt Michigan more than likely. I I would go to northern Michigan, but it'd have to be like a certain time of year. Um, It would have to be during the color phase that you guys saw because that, I mean, I'm sure you could have fun either way, but, man, that I can't say enough. Looking at those pictures, I just thought, my God, you could have anything. You know, you could go kill a doe up there. And just make it look gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, it's it beautiful. beautiful mm-hmm. The background on my phone is our camp. Yep. Just from the colors. Were you in a campground or just? Uh, no. So you were just on a two-track somewhere. Yeah. That's amazing. Certain areas you can just camp up there, and they they have kind of uh, DNR prepared sites. Oh, cool. You can't just camp anywhere, right? But they have some some very primitive sites up there that you can. Uh, set up camp and I mean it's a cool you, you, you hit the nail on the head right you could go up there and not even shoot it though right you could just see something yeah <laughs> I yeah. mean oh. really cool I mean so anyway it was a lot of fun if you're looking for an affordable technical gear style clothing that performs well that cuts weight from your clothing but not from your wallet check out Huntworth whether you're hunting early season in Nebraska, mid-season in Ohio, or late season in Iowa, Huntworth has a system to keep you comfortable and focused on your hunt. With early season fast approaching, we highly recommend checking out the Durham Lightweight Hunting Pants and the Midweight Shelton Hoodie. These items paired with an appropriate base layer will perform at a high level in multiple early season conditions when fishing and hunting. 
So we've been on the search for a new broadhead this year, and after doing some research and kind of looking around, we found this company called Afflictor Broadheads. We got our hands on some of the heads this summer to test out, and guys, I got to tell you, I believe that this head will be in our quiver this fall. Each and every broadhead is hand-assembled in their Texas facility by people who truly care about your experience. This year, I'll be shooting the K2 Mini and the K2 Hybrid. And I got to tell you, I'm absolutely loving them. They fly great, they're extremely durable, and the penetration is just deadly. I can't express it enough. I also love the practice pin feature these guys came out with. So far, I'm really, really impressed. To learn more for yourself, check them out at afflictorbroadheads.com. I like it. Is there anyone else who hunted that I'm missing? Yeah, so the grit, <clears throat> the grit is really about like our core latitude guys. Okay. And we have a lot of guys involved with latitude that uh, are some are phenomenal hunters, and we're figuring out ways. You know, the filming thing is such a logistics thing, you know. Like the thing about hunting that we all love is there's no way to predict it, and so. Mm-hmm makes it extremely hard to schedule you know Mm -hmm. you can't call jake bush and say hey jake when are you killing your buck well he might be the only guy you can call and ask yeah normally you can actually (laughs) set a clock to that first week of ohio season but that you know it's a very logistical nightmare so you know we've you know we got a lot of things in the pipeline you know next year we're hoping to do a lot of like feature film style stuff and incorporate a lot of the guys in the latitude network into our filming but okay the series we're going to be re- releasing this year the grit is kind of the latitude employee inner circle uh type of thing yeah awesome we, so we we did have uh johnny stewart as well we tried to you know get on film and and and, and follow him through his season too because he's an incredible i mean the guy's a phenomenal incredible hunting mind right Mm -hmm. and so we we tried to accomplish that and and it's totally our fault right we just didn't have the resources just with his style of hunting right there is no planning he is a feeler hunter like when it's time to go it's time to go and he knows it's time to go two hours before he has to leave oh crap So, so so that's a learning for us right as the guys organizing this a guy like that is going to need a dedicated camera guy. Yep. We're going to accomplish that, right? Yeah. So, so we did We did have Johnny Stewart involved, and we're very thankful to have him involved because he is one of the <clears> best <throat> hunting minds that exists. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, the guy's a deer genius. He tastes the acorns when he's walking around to make sure they're fresh. <laughs> I mean, he's in incredible. In the middle of the night. Yeah, in the middle of the night. And he's, so he's incredible, right? <laughs> he's a very, very special guy, and there's so much to learn from him. Uh, so we weren't really successful in capturing, like you know, he shot a really nice buck this year. But we weren't there, and um, so hopefully we can figure that out moving forward. And you know, there's a a local guy. I think he does. He live in Kentucky, Bowden. Mm-hmm. So Bowden, and he's right across the border, right? Yep. So he's basically local to here in Cincinnati. Um, but he is like it's a killer. The guy's incredible. I mean, wait till you see the deer this guy shoots. I, I, he killed a good one this year. He killed multiple good ones. Wow, yeah. really good ones. And so he is a and elk. Yeah. Oh, he's incredibly talented. And so his name's Bowden Howell, and he's somebody that um, everybody will 
get to know here if if that's what he this, wants this right? isn't the dude you met at the expo is yeah. it it is yeah nice okay yeah, yeah so we had ran into each other is well, it the one that was hunting he had watched some hunting films yeah. that i had done and okay. we connected through that and so the first time i talked we talked about it at the expo, expo we caught up through text and we decided to kind of do like a computer interview like a skype zoom and the first time Bowden turned his computer on, he was in his living room. And the support poles, he has one of those, like, elevated ceilings, real tall. The support yeah. poles in his living room are covered from the ground to the ceiling in sheds. Oh. I mean, Corey, like, he came up to the booth, right? And he's, like, the nicest guy. And he's just talking to us, like, just hunting buddies talking to us. And Corey, I remember looking at Corey being like, dude. <laughs> this guy's a superstar. <laughs> is a star i mean he's just a very very talented individual i mean he really is see a public land guy yeah oh, yeah. He's oh a sweet and so if he and it's totally up to him right and we're still developing our relationship with him right but he, he did get his film he got his buck this year as a high buck film the whole yeah thing. he did film it and so we will we absolutely will re release that um and if he wants to continue to uh work with us we are going to facilitate that as much as we can and um so he, he's somebody we're really excited to introduce heck yeah yeah man i can't wait i can't wait to watch this yeah that's so cool to hear that you guys you know at the mobile hunters expo you connect with them there yeah yes yeah. uh, that's cool to hear well that's what's so cool about that show right? is that it is a we go to all these shows right and you got every Yahoo in the world at them walking around. At your show, you got everybody that would be a buddy with you at camp. Yep. Yeah. Yep. At the show. And that's it. It's a very specialized show, and that's why, I mean, um, I mean, it's definitely one of the most enjoyable shows we get to. And I listen, appreciate I that. Hate shows. <laughs> <laughs> I can kind of see why after going to the ATA and doing all the talking I did, I was there for a day. You guys were there all week. I don't know how you do that all day. Yeah, and then, it's not that I love talking to people, right? And I love connecting with people and uh, building new relationships, but like the shows are just like socially exhausting. Right? Sure. But when you're at the Mobile Hunter Expo and you're talking to a bunch of people that you're probably, you might end up sharing camp with someday, it's a little bit different conversation. Yep. Um, so anyway, that's the Bowden Howell story. and. It's a pretty good representation cool. of your show. Yeah. I and mean, that's what happened. I'm kind of pumped about that. Yeah. So, Josh, what else we got over here on our little sweet list? Well, the the your your guys' web series, the grit, kinda kinda leads into what I was going to bring up next as far as the, the next topic is just just how latitude's inception and how it's grown over the years. Right, you guys are developing like you know the web series and, and just building upon it. So, is there anything you can hit on for listeners as far as like your growth over the past few years and like what you guys are kind of thinking for the future? Yeah. Um, so, I'll make this quick and I'll just give a quick inception uh, story. So, um, our our partner Kev, right? He. Um, I call him Kev, Kevin Leach, right? Yeah. <laughs> Jake and I went to high school together, so we grew up together, fishing hunting buddies. We met Kevin at when we were in college, and uh, Kevin and Jake were on the football team together. 
Uh, so that's how we know Kevin. At the time, he couldn't hunt a lot. At he, Michigan? Yeah. Jake played for Michigan? That's yeah, Jake. Yes, I know. It's, it is surprising, I know. They, <laughs> no, I just... Not that it's surprising. I'm just confirming. It's pretty, I know, it pretty gonna, cool. It's a very high-level high level football, right? So mm-hmm. Jake, Jake was a kicker okay. at Michigan, and Kevin was a, a linebacker. I mean, uh, so Kevin was a big-time player there. Um, and so he... Uh, anyway, that's how we met Kevin. And so he couldn't hunt a lot at the time, right, because he was playing football. But uh, we're also really big fishermen. I mean, there was a time in our lives where we were fishing more than we were doing anything else. Without going too deep, what do you guys target? Steelhead salmon trout. Okay. Yeah, yep. And um, so we met Kevin at Michigan, and then as soon as he graduated, right, he got back into hunting hard. And Kevin and I went to Notre Dame after Michigan, so we furthered our you know friendship there we were fishing hunting and he got back he really dove into hunting hard and uh it, it's it's funny if you know kevin but the, one of the first times he went out hunting after football he took his tree stand into one of the nastiest michigan swamps ever and i was chuckling to myself when he said he was going to go in there and of course, he came out and he was all pissing vinegar. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dealing with this again. I'm never doing this again, you know. <laughs> sinking, sinking your nipples type swamp. <laughs> I like you hunt wet, and um, so he was so pissed off about this hunt that he went out and he bought a sewing machine and sewed himself a saddle <laughs> in a hotel room in Midland, Michigan. As he was working, he worked for Microsoft and his customer was up in Midland. And so he had to stay in a hotel throughout the week. He lived up there. He was so damn bored at night. He was sewing, up there sewing prototype saddles because he was so pissed off about his tree stand. And so Jake and I had hunted a, long, a lot longer than Kev. So he came down. We're, we're all best friends, right? So he's like, guys, what do you think about this? Like, this tree stand sucks. And I'm not doing that again. What do you think about this? And we're like, love it. And he's like, what do you think, what do you think about starting a company? Love it. And so, <laughs> and so, we, so we took, he, you know, these are very rough homemade prototypes. As he talked, so he's a mechanical engineer. That is his educational background. So these prototypes, um, he got Jake and I involved. We, you know, gave our input into the saddles. And then we, us three designed the, the final product, which was that first version of the method. Wow. And that's how the company started. We, we put together some, Corey probably would laugh at our website, you know, because he's a website genius over here, so he'd laugh at what we are doing. But we put together a website, and it just kind of gained momentum. And that's how Latitude Outdoors started, was because he built himself that saddle because he was so pissed off about the swamp. <laughs> Man, that's pretty cool. So anyway, so moving forward, we came out with that next generation. We added the accessories, and and we're building out that portfolio. We finally have the last piece, uh, the last major category filled, right, which is saddle platform, and now we have these climbing sticks. Um, and, and that's where we are today, right, is finally launching these climbing sticks that have been an incredibly long and challenging process, but we've enjoyed it. I remember talking to you last year about having sticks and you thought you were going to have them, and then you didn't. And I know that's been a long 
a long struggle for you guys, so we're pretty pumped for you to to finally be able to have those. Yeah. Um, yeah, these sticks have been the big talk of the town since the ATA. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the problem with us is, is we're really addicted to trying new things. I mean, sometimes you don't even have to try new things, and we want to try new things. <laughs> but for us, the reason that we invested three years and more money than we would care to admit in these sticks is because we saw an opportunity to offer the performance of carbon fiber to everybody. Yeah. In other words... Carbon fiber is a perfect material for the mobile hunter, but the problem is the manufacturing process is so inefficient that the cost of the products prices people out of the, out of, out of the product, mm. right? And so this technology, we saw an opportunity to allow access to everybody because we were able to hit a price point by making that manufacturing process more efficient. So it delivers all the performance of carbon fiber but we're able to make it more efficiently, which allows us to offer it at a price point that people can actually afford. And that's what we thought was so beautiful here. I so, think that's caught people off guard, yeah. if I'm being honest. People, yeah. the we guesses that, right? we heard on the sticks yeah. were, <laughs> I kept laughing at people like, oh, no, they're not, not going to be 140, 130. Nope. So along those lines, Alex, if you guys streamline the manufacturing process, does that mean you guys are involved? I'm trying to think of how to word this. So have, like, is that your process? Do we own the process? No. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Okay. No. But we've, so we have a, a, a pending patent on the design of that stick. And, and how that stick is designed and how that strength is created, right, in that specific geometry is because there's a specific fiber alignment in that stick. That carbon fiber is aligned in a very specific way, and we set that fiber alignment with heat, pressure, and flow rate in the tooling. And that is what we've submitted a patent on. Okay. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I only ask because that, pro I mean, that... My father-in-law was in consulting. I think he, he originally started in nuclear energy. And how did he go? No. He grew up in Michigan, too. Um, but he went to, like, the University of Toledo. Anyway, he's, like, he's an IT guy. So in nuclear energy, he, the, the process of the manufacturing, like, it was a very inefficient process. So this was when, like, IT stuff was, like, starting to get real big. And so he came up with basically a way to streamline the process. And he based a company off of that. And then he was bought out by another one and he does consulting with that. But yeah, so that, that's why I was asking if you guys like own the process or. It's a similar idea. Yeah. So the, 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 the process is used, the process and material. This is still a very new technology, mm -hmm. material in general, but it is being used in automotive and aerospace. Yeah. And so, um, the challenge is, and, and even the challenge on our manufacturing partner, is taking that technology and applying it to this specific geometry, which is what is so difficult and took us three years to figure out. I bet. So. Man, that's cool. Yeah. So you, you want... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. You. Uh, can you get in some of the specs on the stick? Yeah, the, um, so they're 18-inch they're fixed double steps. Um, 17 inches step to step. Uh, they're right around 19 ounces, 
uh, probably right around 20 ounces with the attachment method there, which is an Amsteel attachment method. Those attachment wings on there, um, that was important to us because it allows us to eliminate that Versa button, mm -hmm. and that gives us the flat stacking. Yep. And I know we are probably we're viewed as a saddle company, right? But we wanted to make sure that these worked for people who like tree stands too, because we have nothing against people who use tree stands. Sure. <laughs> However, you like to hunt, we want to help with that too. Um, so that flat stacking was important to us, and you'll see some pictures on how they stack on a tree stand. But essentially, they they stack over the post of the tree stand. Nice. Um, so it's just nice and compact. You still have room for a backpack to mm -hmm. sit over them. Gives it a very low profile. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, standoff distance is, uh, I wish I had Jake and Kev here to tell me exactly what it was, but it's right around like 3.8 inches right okay. in there. Um, and then the step width is nine inches. Okay. Um, so, so you do have some decent foot room considering the weight specs, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that was important to us. So I'd like to go over, I mean, when you guys released this at the ATA, I saw a bunch of questions online from guys who weren't able to see it in person. And I figured we could just hit on some of those. So first of all, the the AM steel on that is sold separately, right? No. It is, so the AM steel comes for the attachment comes with it? Yeah, of course. Okay, okay. Yep. Um, I feel like I heard somewhere else where they said it was separate. There, you know, there have been a lot of people who've asked about that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, think about your standard stick, right? It comes with a cam buckle strap. I mean, we would never sell sticks yeah. that don't come with the attachment method. Okay. So they will come standard with that Amsteel attachment. Okay. So sticks with the Amsteel attachment, and what's the price point? Uh, so the three-pack is $239, um, and then a single's uh, $84.99. Yeah, which is a very, very solid price. Yeah. And then the, so have you guys been running these this past season? Yeah. You know, okay. Yeah, so, so we've done, I don't want to send us in another rabbit hole, but <laughs> there have been multiple iterations of this. Mm -hmm. I mean, it took us three years to do. Sure. So yeah, there's been a lot of testing and Good. versions of this. What a... So as far as the standoffs, I know a lot of thought went on into these teeth and how many teeth and the angles and all that. How do you feel personally like these perform on like a leaner or, or a tree with like a hard bend in it? Yeah, I mean, they, you know, just as hunters, right, mm -hmm. which we are hunters first before we are uh, running a business, you know, we need just the way we hunt, right? Like we need them to work on every tree. Yeah. Like, we went to Nebraska this year. The trees out there are terrible. Oh. <laughs> and I, again, I wish Jake and Kev were here, but they did a lot of analysis uh, modeling how these teeth interact on different sized trees. And you will actually see this on the packaging because I included it on there showing their analysis. But um, there was a, a lot of analysis done on those teeth. So, uh, so they bite really well. Um, how about when you ascend and descend the tree um, as far as gripping the stick to go up and down? You want to hit on that a little bit? There's been a lot of questions yeah, maybe, online about that. Maybe proper climbing method and then, yeah. and then go yeah, up there. So, um, yeah, so there have been some questions about, you know, can you, you grip the step of the, the, the stick? And I say this cautiously, but you do have room 
to grip the step of the stick because you end up having this is hard to describe without you trying it but you do have room to grip the stick inside the standoff and then we obviously left there's a, probably about an inch outside of each standoff yeah. for you to grip as well if you wanted to do that now I also don't recommend doing that you don't want to grip the steps of your stick mm -hmm. proper climbing says that you should have contact with the tree with one hand and in lineman belt right you should be running a lineman belt properly to make sure you're safe when you're climbing the tree so you should be gripping the tree and using your lineman belt so that god forbid you slip or something happens right you have multiple contact points on the tree that's very important for safety okay I like it. And then one other thing I saw people were like, oh, it looks, the steps look slip or slick. But slick as in slippery, not slick as in cool. They are cool oh, though. Are. <laughs> <laughs> I call them slick because they are cool. But they have these ridges built in onto the steps. I don't know if people could see that in some of the videos that were released during the ATA, but it looks like grip would not be an issue on these. Yeah, so like we knew that that was going to be one of the objections, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, this is something where people are going to have to try, but the, the material is is actually oddly grippy on its own. So it's not it look it is a smooth surface, mm -hmm. but it's grippier than you would expect. But we also purposely made those those uh, the, the 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 teeth on the top of the step. We we extended those pretty significantly. Yeah. And so those interact with the tread on your boots and you don't have any slipping issues. You also have those even further extended teeth on the outside of each yeah. step. And those end up being really nice. I don't know who did that. I think it was Jake or Kev, right? That decided to extend those slightly. And those are really nice. That gives you a little bit extra. Cause when you're climbing, you almost have like an outside pressure, yeah. an outside push. Mm -hmm. And so that gives you a little edge to um, push, push on there. So they are, I mean, you'll just have to try them. I mean, yeah. I, you know, you know, I, I am the company, so you're not, you're not going to believe me anyways. <laughs> yep. Well said. And then, uh, it is not recommended that people, so I had people ask me this, can you turn it into a one stick? Like, how would you put your can on a stick? Yeah. <laughs> No. I don't know what that'll do to the stick. I can't answer that, but don't do it. Okay. Please. That, that's what I told you. I'm like, I don't think it's made for that. You better not try to turn that. That being said, I mean, that attachment method, you know, this is another thing you're going to have to try, but that attachment method might be the coolest thing on the stick. Mm -hmm. it, we designed that. Pretty sweet. We sat, I was at Jake's house. Jake used to be my neighbor in Detroit. And uh, he moved back to Grand Rapids where the company is so that he could be there. But um, we sat in his backyard and we sat there and we did like, what is the most natural motion for attaching a stick to the tree? And that is what we came up with. And when you put that on the tree, you're going to understand what I'm saying. It is a very natural motion. To, it's like a simple lashing, right? And it's just very nat. Your, your hand almost naturally just does what it needs to do to put that on the tree. Um, point being is, if you want to use that as a one stick, just use the attachment method mm -hmm. that comes on the stick, and we did that on purpose. Yeah. There are there are some people that 
do one sticking without a cam cleat and they'll do they'll use am steel i mean it, it's not as efficient but there are some people that i've seen that'll do it i feel cool. like i feel like aaron ritter's one that does that does he do that sometimes i couldn't tell you seems like something he would do yeah. <laughs> but you know it's not as the cam cleat is obviously very simple and mm -hmm. fast and it's nice but this is a little bit maybe a little bit slower but definitely safer mm -hmm. so yeah. so you know if you're once it's something to try for sure yeah could definitely try it they are freaking sweet congrats on your success so yeah. far with these and being able to bring them to market finally and winning your first place award at the ata yeah thank you we, that's pretty cool we're just uh relieved that people are accepting of the new concept and we <laughs> totally realize that this is probably a like what the hell is that yeah thing but you know this is how new things happen right i know it's sure. weird at first but um we believe this is the future and that's why we invested so much in it yeah. could have very well changed things for a lot of people it definitely could. It definitely has people thinking, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm assuming you guys are looking to apply this technology to other things. There's a lot of opportunities with this technology, yes. yeah. and um, you know, one of the things that way back when when we were kind of brainstorming climbing sticks in general, like one of the issues we ran into is as we reduced weight with traditional metal technologies, we significantly reduced durability. And part of that is because of hardware, mm -hmm. right? And so this eliminates all hardware and all moving parts. So it's a special concept. It's crazy right? to think that there's not anything in there holding anything together. Yeah. It's a single piece. Oh, yeah. I mean, instead of hardware, right? Instead of nuts and bolts, we're, we're using molecular structure to hold the components of the stick together yeah. and it is in our eyes uh, progress right? and and you guys correct me if i'm wrong you guys are offering a warranty on these sticks right five years five years five years that's how confident you are in that. that's how much we believe in yeah. this technology and we understand that people are going to have to take a little bit of a leap to try something new sure and that's why we're going to offer that we believe in this and we stand by our product if something that we're going to swap it out for you right like we believe in the product and, and that's why we did that aggressive warranty so a breath of fresh air yes man well what else you got on your little organizational <laughs> list over there for those that can't see chris is making fun of my list i have a, I have a notepad out with your doctor it. scratch hey. hey in your defense somebody's got to be organized. <laughs> this isn't my doctor scratch this is my print <laughs> this isn't even my course. was giving me crap about my handwriting today. <laughs> Scott is Dr. Scratch over here. Oh my god. There's, so there's this, there's just a quick rabbit hole here. There's a podiatrist that I will receive referrals from. The very first time I, I read one of her scripts, I had the hardest time not laughing because I literally thought a kindergartner read it. <laughs> it, was, it was print and it looked like a kindergartner was learning how to write. I'm like, what? Like, I had to spend 10 minutes trying to decipher what was going on on this thing. It was ridiculous. When I was a kid, I had an ear, nose, and throat doctor pronounce it. ENT? No. 
the it's like otolaryngologist, otolaryngologist. Oh, you just nailed it. How it, yeah. <laughs> I can't. I, I I don't know. But the dude, I don't know how any human being deciphered what was on that paper. I used to look at him and think, man, there must be like a weird doctor writing where they have their own language or something. And no, no. <laughs> it was just crazy. Some people don't know how to write. The poor pharmacist. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I feel for my wife. Yeah. Okay, so, sorry to rabbit hole. The only other thing I had on here, it kind of goes along with, with the growth of latitude and all that. So the only thing I had left on here was the Latitude Film Festival, which you guys graciously, and we thank you very much for sponsoring the, the film festival at last year's Mobile Hunters Expo. Um, it was our first year doing the film festival, and we are continuing that this year. Um, we've been working with, with you guys and t talking with, you know, Corey of like how we can develop it and grow it. Um, is there any teasers we want to give as far as the film festival? One thing I'm going to say is this year it will be much larger and much higher quality than I would say. It's going to be last... badass. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll so. just put it like that. Um, Last year was kind of like the prototype, right? Yeah. yeah. We have an idea. This year's going to be the product. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll let you guys talk about teasers and all that. I I don't want to. I want to yeah, speak I'll, out of turn. I'll dive into it. Yep. Um, you know the thing about the hunting industry, we talk about this a lot. Is like the only way you end up working in the hunting industry is if you're very passionate about hunting. No one graduates from school and happens to get a first job you know, in a hunting industry, right. you know, it's, it's a passion industry and, you know, a huge part of working in the hunting, hunting industry, you know, like these companies are trying to make money, they're trying to market and it turns into content. And, you know, for us, like we have to film to keep up, you know, there's so many co companies that are so good at filming things and creating content and it just keeps getting more competitive and competitive. But, you know, that's personally why I am sitting here and why I'm working with Latitude and I it could probably speak for Derek and say it's the same, you know, the guy eats, breathes, and sleeps this stuff. And so we love the concept of filming hunts. We look at it as like an art, you know, it's a storytelling, it's a passion, you know. And, you know, this is touching the stuff Alex talked about earlier, you know, you're building memories that are going to last a lifetime here. And so we want to encourage that. You know, we love that more people are filming hunts than ever before. You know, I think it does a lot of great things for the industry. You know, it, it educates people, you know, it, it shows perspective. It teaches people that they can do these type of things and how to do them, how to do them correctly. And so for us, you know, as a company, we're investing a lot of time and energy into the content side of things. And we want to help, you know, bring people that may be doing this on their own, you know, to light. And how, how do we do that? You know, so, you know, kind of our goal is to work with you guys to create and make the Latitude Film Festival one of the coolest things that anybody who's ever thought about filming hunts or just wants to tell a story can be a part of. And so, you know, we're planning to offer a cash prize and get people involved to incentivize them to, you know, maybe kick them over the edge and give them a reason to keep doing something maybe they got into because they love to do it and give them a reason to do it. Um, so we're extremely excited about it and uh, hope to uh, get some details out on like where people can start submit, submitting films and 
you know, kind of the details on what they need to incorporate, you know, the length and stuff like that. But, you know, we, we hope to grow this as much as we can. Heck yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even based off that story, uh, watching hunting films, uh, when I started out filming just for myself, really inspired me to start doing it more seriously and become my passion. So, I mean, if you have any, like, any part of your body that wants to start filming your hunts and get into it, Go to stuff like that. Go to hunting film festivals whenever you can and just watch what these guys are doing and ask questions because anyone in the media side of the hunting industry, well, most of the guys that I've talked to and met coming up that have been here longer than me will pull you aside and will literally answer any question you have. So go to film festivals, watch hunting films, and take what these guys are doing, what they've been doing for a long time, and put it to your work and you can be going into film festivals one day. So I just wanted to bounce off what you said to anyone who's thinking about getting into filming and stuff. Yeah, I mean, if you've been on Facebook in the, in any hunting shape or form, you know who Chris Leppert and Josh Luck are. <laughs> they are some Facebook warriors. I love that reaction. <laughs> Everybody tells yeah. me that. You are everywhere, man. So if you got questions, these guys, just knowing the people they are, they're going to help you. But to second that, like if you want... You know, the whole point of, you know, it's the Latitude Film Festival, but we want to make sure this is 100% unbiased. There's not, you don't need to be hunting out of a saddle. You don't need to be hunting out of a Latitude. We just want guys that are hunting and grinding and getting it and doing what we all love to do and telling that story through film. And so if you need help with that, if you have questions on that, like, you know, reach out to us. Like, Derek's professional at this. He does this for a living. You know, it's why we're here. It's because of what we love. And you know, we love to connect with guys that want to do that same thing. So if, if you want to work on a film, if you need help on a film, if you just got questions or you just want a buddy that likes to talk about film and hunts, you know, that's, you know, reach out. We're here. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, we have a, a deep appreciation for, for filming. I mean, Chris and I got into self-filming in 2019. I mean, we're the same as anyone else, right? I, I film everything with my phone and a GoPro. That's... It's what I've done since 2019. It's you just develop a deep appreciation for guys out there grinding and doing that. You know when you're involved in it, and then you get into editing your own hunts, and then you just you learn a lot. And I don't know when, like you were saying, Derek, when you look at these film festivals and watch, you you start to notice things within a film or within like a hunting show. Um, after you you know you kind of dive into some of the editing stuff. Like there's small things like editing tweaks that you notice yeah. and you appreciate. You're like, oh, like that was really cool. You can see like the the art form of it take shape, and you know, it's it's just really neat. And yeah. we just we just want to give people an outlet where they can do that in 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 an unbiased environment. Mm -hmm. Man, it would have been cool to follow you around with a camera this year, and show that perspective. Yeah. Cameraman of the cameraman. Well, that. That would have been... We've been saying that all year. We, <laughs> we want to start something like that. To show... It's in the works. How the, it's in the works. Well, does this make me a genius then? <laughs> I'm a genius. I'm a late genius. I think you're a time <laughs> We were in this basement like three months ago. Me and him were talking about this. I, just, I was literally, as you're talking, I'm like, a documentary on Derek's year would have been sick as hell. <laughs> 
like following around Jake Bush and Alex and all these guys. Yeah. Like that would have been insane. Well, we were talking about this the other day, and it's like crazy how different the industry's changed since I was a kid watching the Sportsman's Channel and just TV mm. shows. Oh, dude, I couldn't tell you who like like Tyler Jordan or his dad's camera guy was. Right nowadays, like the media guys that these guys putting these films out are known. Yes. Mm -hmm. And to know there's the older guys throws and the original shows have been great. But to now that we're young and we're in the like in the media but we're younger guys, we could tell that story as we're doing it and get both sides of it and see how it works together. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool because you can inspire younger guys who wanna be in the hunting industry but they don't have like they don't have the, the like the product side, they just hunt and stuff like that. There's ways to get in. Sure. You just follow passion. Like you don't gotta be Go to school for this. You don't gotta do. You just work hard at something and find something you love, and you can do what you want. Yep. And that's worked out for you know all of us. I mean. Yeah. And that's what's just great about it. Be able to tell that media side of it is so cool. Yeah. One, yeah. one quick story on that topic is, you know, Alex had reached out uh, to Derek last well before last year about working with Full Draw, mm -hmm. and then he had reached out to me, you know, about running a latitude, and we kind of all connected through that, but. The first time I ever met Derek was at the ATA show last year, and we went to the film festival together. And fast forward one year, you know, insane. We, we sat there, you know, and he's like, "Dude, we we got to figure out how to work together. Like, this is so cool. We both share this passion, you know, for film and hunts." Fast forward a year, you know, here we are working together for Latitude, <laughs> working with Alex, you know, like spending all day together down in the basement grinding out videos and product videos, and you know, it's it's. It's the freaking dream, man. It's awesome. It's That's awesome. pretty badass. Uh, one thing that hit me a little bit when you were talking about uh, your cameraman, Joey, is that right? Joey having to go to bed early, just like you, it reminded me uh, one of my guys that I like quite a bit still um, is Donnie Vincent. Okay. That guy puts out quality. I mean, he's up there, right? And he was talking about what they went through to film certain things like they're in their tent and he happens to be awake and sees the northern lights in the arctic circle hey cameraman i forget his name time to get up and go out at 3 30 in the morning in the blistering cold and film the northern lights but you know it sucks sometimes in the moment you know it's kind of tough i guess i shouldn't say it sucks but um Man, when you, when you, when you, there's been some times, but it's funny though, because every time, you know, you're kind of bitching and complaining, and then you get back and you look at your computer and you're like, oh, that's gorgeous. You never so, regret it. No, not, not at just even a little bit. So that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what you're going to do with that then. So. I know we're well past an hour and it is getting late and I don't want to keep you guys too long, but I definitely want to talk a little bit of deer hunting with you, Alex. Um, I know that you're a pretty modest guy, so try not to be too modest, <laughs> you know, throw the humble away for a second here. Um, when you're targeting a big deer, what's, what's going through your head? What, what are you... You know, you, you said you believed in the, the, the Dan Infault method and everything. I mean, take me through, um, you know, from start to finish when it comes to, you know, e-scouting to 
um, you know, scouting and then, you know, going in for the kill, uh, how you play the wind. Do you, I mean, I'm going to assume you probably don't use any kind of scent control stuff. All right. I love you. Um, so tell me about how you play the wind and, and, and all that. How do you go about hunting a big deer? Uh, yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out, uh, <laughs> but I, I'll tell you this. I've seen some of your deer. You're, you're doing all right. Uh, so I'll, t I'll tell you this. The, the best thing that I did is I started listening to other people. I spent a lot of my, uh, hunting life, like hunting alone, right? Like I was just doing what I was doing. I didn't even know who Dan Infault was until we started this, right? Okay. And that's not to take away from Dan. That's that's uh, a, 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 that's an inefficiency within myself as a hunter, right? Yeah. And so as soon as I opened myself up to learning from others, everything changed for me. In fact, um, and I don't remember what year this was, but in, in the last five years, what I did is I spent a significant amount of time in, in Part of that was like the, the Vitals Live, that education series, which um, really is, is probably no longer, to be honest. We're probably going to shut that down just because we don't have the, the resources for it. But it was the most valuable thing that's ever happened to me as a hunter because it exposed me to all these people who had all this success. And so one year, I took what I considered to be the most uh, logical approach to hunting deer, which a lot of that aligns with what Dan says. And um, I tested it. And I actually recorded encounters the, throughout the entire season. In other words, I had exact strategies that said I was going to hunt this location on this wind, assuming that this bedding was happening and this deer was going to move in this fashion out of that bed to go do whatever the hell he's going to do. Whether he's going to eat or he's going, he's going to go check doe beds if it's the rut or whatever phase of the season it is, he's going to do what he's going to do for a specific reason. And I tracked all that. And it was the most successful season I ever had with encounters. And the data was so overwhelming that I was 100% sold on it. So when it comes to targeting big deer, I'm still figuring that out for my what works best for me. But what I do know is that spending time to study not, not just like listen to these people, but actually study what they do. That's been the biggest difference maker for me. And that has totally exponentially grown my encounters with good deer in the woods. It's, it's changed me as honor. All right. So have you, have you dove into wind speed very much? I know that wind speed plays a big role, especially when you have topography change. If you have elevation changes, wind speed plays a huge role. One of the biggest bucks I ever shot was actually down here in Ohio. And no, it wasn't. That was Florida. It was Michigan. I can't remember where it was, <laughs> but it was somewhere with some big hills. And, then, and, and the only reason it worked is because it was a dead calm day. And I've haunted that spot since then several times. In every scenario you can imagine. And I know that that is the key factor is the wind speed in that hunt. So what do I think about wind speed? 
I don't exactly know, but it, it makes a big difference and you yeah. have to pay attention to it, right? I mean, if you have a, a blistering wind coming over a hill, right, it's going to suck the wind from down in the draw back up. So in other words, if you're sitting down there and there's a deer bedded up there, it's going to suck your wind. Even though your wind's blowing out of the draw, it's going to suck the <laughs> wind right back up to them. I learned that, I learned that over and over again. I experienced it again this year with Derek, right? Like, I still make some of those mistakes, right? But, uh, so, if your question is, does wind speed matter? It matters a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've definitely started paying more attention to that this year and noticed how the deer move uh, according to when the wind picks up, dies down, and it just... It just blow. It makes my brain melt. Honestly, when you see it, and you think it, and when you see it, you, you just think, "Man, that's it's the coolest thing in the world." It is crazy. You know, the big deer—they never do anything random. No. Like I grew up thinking, the way I grew up was like, "Oh well, it's the rut, so you just got to be out there." I'd spend all day. I'd sit oh. do all all these all day sits. Like boom, eventually something's gonna happen. That's the big. That is the biggest like hoax in hunting in my opinion. <laughs> Literally hero right? a deer to yourself. Those big deer, and I've witnessed this as well. Those big deer in the rut, they don't go look for does. Does go to them. And I've seen that happen multiple times. Really? Yep. Oh, I I've not heard this. This is interesting. I was in Michigan. Uh, this was not 20, in 2021. The 2021 season. I shot the biggest Michigan buck I've ever shot. And I didn't recover it. But I sat there, and I watched multiple does go into this I watched this whole thing. I have it on film, too. And I watched multiple does go into this buck where he was. He was in this, it was a 30-yard, you know, I think a 30-yard diameter area. He was in there. He never left there, and multiple does went in and out of there. And I've seen that happen multiple times. He didn't have to move a damn anywhere. Wow. He was the top dog. The does knew, knew it. It was the right time of the year, and they knew where they had to be. It's nature. You know? It's depressing. <laughs> when well, you think it, about it. It changes your perspective. Yeah. Right? And, and now, I will also say that that varies from area to area, right? Because if you have a buck-to-doe ratio that is so skewed towards does, like in Michigan, that's what happens. It's okay. a big buck sits there and the does come to him but if if it's more competitive right it changes things sure and then maybe your all-day sit comes into play and so keep in mind that i'm talking from a michigan guy's perspective and that's where i've spent 90 percent of my time hunting um but big deer they they're a different animal yeah i think they're a lot more calculated than somehow pe still people give them credit for um i think people are getting smarter with it but I just think there's a lot of a lot of the stay out until the end of October people left still and I, it still blows my mind. That's the other thing I've learned is like I used to I used I used to be one of those people. Same. And now my least favorite time to hunt is the first week of November because yep. I know I'm screwed. Yep. You know, cuz <laughs> everything you know went I mean? to hell. Yeah, because I know that the odds of me having the big dog in the area come by me is very slim. Because yep. he's dialed in. He's locked down, right? The yep. lock, that whole lockdown thing. <laughs> like, what is that? 
Right. Not no. All the bucks don't sit around and do nothing, but the big dog in that area is locked down. Yep. So you know, yeah. he's got a doe, and where that doe goes, he's going. So. I was talking to a guy that said he pretty well thinks that those deer will stay with a doe for like forty eight hours and breed her over and over and over and it's not like like you see videos of a buck breeding a doe and then like they go their separate ways and it's just not really how it works so when you when you figure that out then the lockdown thing makes sense and you're like well that's why i went like six days without seeing anyone it's not fair. The rut's a tough time to hunt if you're hunting the big, the big deer. And, I agree. And we witnessed that this year, right, in Wisconsin. We saw the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life. He's, I mean, he was a 200-inch deer. And, oh, uh, my God. This, you'll see this on, the, the, on grit when we launch it. You'll see it's all on video. But this deer uh, was a giant, and he was on this doe, and he was not leaving this doe. I mean, and you'll see all how, what I'm talking about when you see this, but I've never seen a more clear example of this, right? I mean, if you take that, look at that, and then in Wisconsin, right, you got competition up the ass. I mean, you got a bunch of big bucks. It's the total opposite of Michigan, but the same principle applied. The only difference is, is we had multiple bucks on the same doe Man. in Wisconsin versus in Michigan, you had multiple does on one buck. That was the difference. So... So when you're going to these places, so this is Wisconsin public land and you're, I mean, are you just picking spots on a map? Or are you going off of buddies that live there, give you a tip? Like, how are you picking a place to go hunt? So in Wisconsin, it was a unique situation this year. I always, when we go to a random new area, I always, Derek probably hates this, but I always tell him, I'm like, dude, we're, we're not going to see shit. <laughs> This is, this is year one, Derek. It's this a five-year process. It's I a, hear that all the time. <laughs> like, Derek, this is great. This is a five-year process. This is year one. It's fine. It, but I truly believe that, right? Like, if I go to a brand new area, I have no expectations. I know that it's going to take me some time. And you can go into it like we did it in Nebraska, Nebraska right? Yeah. We went there, and, you, and you can do that, I think. You can make that happen. But... If you average out all the, all your hunting, right, over a lifetime, you're probably, in my opinion, you're going to look at like a three to five year timeline to get to consistent success. Sure. So we were in that situation in Wisconsin, in this place that uh, it was my third year being there. And I had this place dialed in. But, a new, so in Wisconsin, you have a unique situation because you actually have private land that is public. It's kind of... Oh. Like, um, do you have that in Ohio? Yeah, where it's leased, the yeah. state leases it from the land. The hunting with permission yeah. only signs, if you've ever seen them in Ohio. Mm -hmm. In Michigan, we have it. It's called Hunter, Hunter Access Program. It's where private landowners, uh, they get a tax break or something yeah. to open up their It's like walk-in, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so that's how it works in Wisconsin. But a new landowner took this over. This They bought this property. And so it was the last year for... Hunter Act, public access. And so this guy, he was like very anti-public hunter. <laughs> and so he has, you know, he, he, he made a whole new road through the property, you know, the property I spent three years learning. And uh, 
the whole road through the property and, and the signs out there. Signs out there, you know. And so he made it a very difficult situation. In fact, Derek and I were out there. We had deer coming down. He boom, he's running his side by side through the road at prime time. Mm. We got this all. You'll see this all too. Yeah. It, it, it just got, him and his wife, you know, driving through. I'm like, oh well, that's great. <laughs> so anyway, the place is blown. He's got like his new like huge, it's like a house of a box blind built down in this draw. <laughs> he's like totally ruined the whole draw. Not ruined it, but he's definitely marked his territory. He's like a big buck, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so. Ironically, one of the years prior, I shot a deer and we're going to recover it and he ran on the private and I had to get permission to track on the private. And so I met this, he's a farmer, one of the nicest people in the world. And um, so this year after we had the experience with the new landowner, I went and asked permission on the farmer's property that like, but we were literally sitting like 50 yards from the public, but I had to get into the next draw because like this draw was blown. And so we got permission on that adjacent property. And that's where we nice you know, first sit move, moved in there. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, he's pushing that new landowners pushing all the deer out. Of sure. There. So it was very obvious. <laughs> like I'm not going to claim any like good logic there. I mean, it was obvious that that's what needed to be done. And that's where we had that encounter. And I mean, you'll see it. It was an incredible story. I'm freaking jacked to watch that series, man. A 200-inch deer. Yeah. And this is your first year at this. You're going to... You guys are going to be all right here in mm -hmm. year two I through. I was more jacked about the deer because I was zoomed in <laughs> on them on the camera. So I could actually see how big this thing is. <laughs> God. Well, like... I was fired up. Uh, yeah, I mean... Is this a typical deer? <laughs> No, no, no. So stuff everywhere. It's on our Instagram. You can oh, see it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, so you ran into a pretty good one that was on your Instagram in Indiana, as a couple of them, right? Am I right about that? Yeah, that was Jake yeah, and Tao. That was Jake and Corey. Yep. Okay. We, we, yeah, we Indiana. I mean, not to give away all the. Yeah, just Indiana. Nowhere in Indiana, yeah. but Indiana. <laughs> Yeah, you can't sleep on Jake. Is that Indiana Tyler, or man. Tennessee? Oh, yeah, Jake, yeah, he's great. Jake's a superstar in the making. Yeah. He's just the greatest, greatest person I've ever Jake been around. Sweet, so you know Jake Patel. Jake saw a real nice one in Indiana. That would be an exciting one to incorporate. That was on your Instagram, right? I'm not crazy? Okay. Yep. I, I, for some reason, wow, so you guys saw multiple mega giants this year. Not just good deer. That's what's so crazy about that. You didn't just see like 140 inch deer. Yeah. 140 inch deer is a big damn deer. Oh yeah. I mean, I shoot every 140 inch deer I see. Yeah. <laughs> Same. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we're very fortunate that we get to hunt a lot. Right? Yeah. Well, that helps. But part of the business, but we and we work really hard. We hunt really hard. Yeah. Really hard. And um, so we are luckier than we are good. And we, we, we work harder than we are talented, right? And, and a lot of times, the best hunters aren't the smartest. They're the ones who work the hardest yep. and are the most yep. passionate, right? I, mean, I agree. Um, so we kind of fall in that. We aren't deer geniuses like some of these guys, right? Like, we're sure. not like Jake Bush. Right. I'll, I'll be the first to admit that. <laughs> like, I'm not as good as him by any means. Cra crazy to meet somebody who's that smart and 
driven at the same time. Normally, those two don't coincide. For sure. There'll be some kind of hubris there or laziness or yeah. something. So that's pretty cool to see. Yeah. Do you think he'll listen to this? Probably not. We, he's not one of our seven and a half listeners. I'll tell him, though. I'll be like, Jake, we talked so much about you. I'll make sure we listen to it before we go on. Yeah, there, there you go. go. Oh, dude, just, just slip I'll it be, on. I'll be in the grip. <laughs> That's hiding, awesome. If you're hiding Hill Country in January, you can listen to it while you're out there. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> we got some time here. What is this guy doing and right now? That's what's so cool about the grip because, like, we're, like, we're serious hunters and, and we get on some big gear, but, like, the personalities from, like, Jake Bush to Jake Metallic to Alex, it's like, it's such a cool group of guys that are all over the map. And it's all the stuff <laughs> oh, we run yeah. into, like landowners we run into and like just locals. And we have all that on film, like talking to these guys and just the different peoples in part of the country that we're at. It's so cool to put that all together mixed with us. It's just, it was really cool. It was a really cool journey. Heck yeah. The show's, the show's going to be incredibly honest. Yes. Like, like, there's going to be some embarrassing moments for me. Yeah, like, <laughs> multiple embarrassing moments. And, uh, but, like, our goal is to make it as real. Like, we, we don't care. We're not, a, we're not a hunting show, right? Like, we're a product company. We develop products, and this is our product process to test the products. And so we're going to be incredibly honest on the show. You're going to see everything that happens. You're going to see so many mistakes. You're like, these yahoos, what are they doing? <laughs> but... And then he'll, he'll say that, and then all the next episode, it's like, he just shot like a hundred yeah. deer in Nebraska. How does that work? How did that guy shoot that yeah. after what he just did? It is shot. And that's what's awesome about it. Yeah. yeah. It's your everyday guy just going out there grinding on public land with his buddies. Yeah. Yeah, another, yeah. another spoiler alert. I think before Alex shot his 160 in Nebraska, two days before, he stocked a four-corn with a stick bow I missed in two, a swamp. I shot, I shot at deer three days in a row. Missed. <laughs> <laughs> Missed twice. Uh, third time's a charm, as they say. Lost my release in the process. Are you, Killer man, guy. Alex has God on his side. That is for damn sure. <laughs> he is in the Lord's favor. Yeah, I just keep missing these deer, and then a velvet, velvet 160 drops by, and well, I tell these guys, like, as long as you smile after something yeah, that's bad what I was happens. I was so, like, so Nebraska's our first time hunting together. Like, we, I knew yeah. Alex, like, we didn't, like, all know, oh, yeah. know each other. But when he missed that deer, I'm filming, I'm like, all right, I don't know how he's going to react. Some people will be pissed off or something. He just looked at me, he's like, you know, we got him. We'll get the next one. And I'm like, all right, sweet, let's go. So his start date was the first day in Nebraska. Yeah. Oh, really? Wow. I'd like to put that in perspective. Yeah. Like, all right, day one. We got to meet in Nebraska, though. <laughs> Damn. That's pretty cool. I'll be excited to watch. Um, to close this out, I'm actually going to do something a little different. Oh, okay. Uh, from each of you, I wouldn't mind hearing your favorite thing you learned having to do with hunting this year. Could be with anything, scouting, uh, you know, wind base, gear base, whatever. Something you learn that just really sticks out. I like this. Good you go first, Alex. My biggest learning from this year was like the filming stuff. This was the first time I've ever had somebody with me in the tree. I mean, that was an incredible learning experience. I have a whole new respect 
for people who film their hunts. Okay. I mean, like, trying to get two guys, double the scent, double the sound, into an area on public land or wherever is very difficult. And, um, and just what they have to deal with, as in, like, the guys running the camera is, I mean, they have to wake up when the hunter, like, they, they, don't, they don't ask any questions. They just go. It's, you know, their attitude, they tell us, like, pretend I'm not there. But, like, they have a very difficult job. And I, that's my biggest learning is, I, man, I respect these guys. I mean, what they do is a very difficult job. So. All right. I, I got kind of two. I mean, one's kind of a broad, uh, I guess, strategy. And then the other would be more a very gear-specific thing. Um, the broad one, you know, I spent some time with some guys that have killed a lot of big deer this fall, and I asked a lot of them, you know, like, how do you go from killing 130s to 160s? You know, like, what, you know, what are you doing when you're hunting that changes? And, you know, the biggest takeaway is they're really not changing how they're hunting. You know, it's just absolutely not quitting until you have the bigger deer that you're trying to kill. You know, so, like, <clears throat> uh, talked to Drew Carroll from Seek One, you know, and he, you know, I was like, Drew, like, what did you do to go from being a 130 to a one? You know, he's killed 180s. Because I just don't quit. You guys, nothing changed how I hunt. I just don't quit. And same thing with Jake Bush. Same thing with Alex. You know, I mean, Alex is grinding 10 days into Nebraska, you know, in 100-degree heat. And he's shooting a deer in the last day. You know, he could have quit any time. You know, he's getting up at 2 in the morning. Crazy, you know. And he, <laughs> I'm like, dude, you're, you're nuts. But he just doesn't quit. And if you don't quit, eventually, you know, you're going to get there. Um, the more gear-specific thing, I think, you know, spend time in the woods with Jake Bush. <clears throat> I'd love to just keep dropping this Jake Bush thing. We keep doing yeah. It. <laughs> we should call this the Jake Bush podcast. He's <laughs> he is special man, and he is so systematic and so tactful. But you know, studying and getting to watch how he takes the time in his entrances and how important that is to him. You know, he he quite literally, you know, might walk a mile. And then the last couple hundred yards might take him a couple hours. You know, like he, you know, we joke all the time, like Jake will range a tree and be like, look, we got the next hour and a half to get 32 yards to that tree, Derek. You know, <laughs> we're, we're going to take our time and go step by Damn. step. And, you know, he's so calculated, but there's a reason guys like him are so successful. You know, they're, they're taking these small details and really focusing on them. And it's the same thing with his system, you know, like having a system is so important to him, you know, and that's something I've tried to bring into my style that, you know, I, I need to be calculated in what I'm doing. I need to be calculated in my gear, how I pack my things so that, you know, if I am going to go try to kill that deer that's, you know, could be bedded within 100 yards, that when I get to that point and get to that tree, my bag is packed how I remember it was packed and I'm not clinking my sticks around because I packed it differently than I did the day before, you know, it that attention to detail and that not quitting personality, I think that's a deadly combination. Heck yeah. Man, I like it. Mm -hmm. Derek? Yeah, um, I got a book I'm writing about this because I've been hunting with Johnny Stewart, um, Jake Bush, Alex, Kevin, Jake. I hunted with filmed Corey. So I've been all, I've been with Alex most of the time. And the number one thing that I've, at hunting wise, I've probably got is from Alex and he says it in probably one of the videos, you just gotta go. <laughs> you just gotta go. I mean, 
if you're down something, or, I mean, you're not, it's cliche, you're not going to kill him on the couch. I mean, it, it, it is what it is, but the way he, like, stage hunts an area and, like, like he'll go into a spot and we think we might kill a deer, but we're more just kind of getting intel to move forward to the next hunt from that sit, like what their deer are doing. That's something I never really did before. Every time I went hunting, I just wanted to kill something. Sure. We, we would go in there at that mentality, you know, we want to kill a deer, but if it doesn't happen, we're going to learn something to go into the next evening or next morning. And hunting with Jake Bush, it's more, I took away organization from him um, and how organized he is. And I carried that over to like filming, like how I organized, like how I film stuff, just how organized and calculated he is. And just taking away all that, the hunting knowledge from them is really transferred over to how I do filming stuff, like how they're doing. Like I got to know how he works versus how Kevin works, how Jake works to get certain things. He says certain things that I know need to be on film versus what, what Kevin says that needs to be on film. Okay. But I, I mean, I'm blessed to be able to hunt with all these guys and just be behind a camera and be a sponge. And just to take that away in like a couple of years when I like take the best of all these guys, their best qualities from all of them, put them into one. That's just, you know, how many people can do that? So I'm blessed every day to be able to be a part of all these guys and hunt with them and just, yeah, the biggest takeaway is just how blessed I am, to be honest with you, to be a part of this and the company in general and saddle hunting in general. Yeah. Like, honestly, I saddle hunted for a little bit, like, personally, but being able to do it year-round and how convenient it is, like, filming, it makes your job a whole lot easier. Yes. A tree stand, because I grew up filming at a tree stand. <laughs> I mean, you could do it. It works. Like, it's fine. But when you're saddling with it, filming-wise, oh, the 360-degree angle with the camera versus bow, you really get that 360-degree with a camera. It makes it so much easier. That's something that I really took away from this year, because I, I partaked in it, but I never fully dove into it like I did this year, and it made things a lot easier. I like it. Yeah, you're pretty blessed. I mean, I talked to him about this a little bit this year, uh, just being able to follow all these killers around. Yeah. I'd just be like a kid in a candy store. I'd annoy the <laughs> shit out of everybody asking questions constantly. Why do you do that? I so, don't know, Chris. <laughs> we're just trying. <laughs> we're just trying to kill a deer. Shut up. Nothing else is working. <laughs> uh, how about yourself? My what? Yeah. What's what? your favorite thing you've learned this year? Oh, my favorite thing I learned this year. Um, so I'm going to go off of something I feel like I learned with my Kentucky buck I took on my second sit. Um, so it took, kind of go on off of what uh, you are saying earlier, Alex, that it takes five years to learn a place. So when I first moved to Kentucky, I didn't have any private, so I was going to do all public, and it was the first time doing that. And I knew, I kind of figured it was going to take a while. Um, so I picked a couple areas. I scouted, um, used some cameras, just regular SD cameras, no cell cameras. And I found a place that had, so I, I scouted, put cameras out, and I found a place that had some deer I wanted to target. And then I spent that whole first season kind of, figuring out the place just how the deer were were moving how where they were staying and it it gets it gets some pressure and i learned a lot from it as far as how these deer handled the pressure in that um and they they were doing some of the exact opposite things i thought they would i thought they were going to be 
you know, getting pushed off of this public onto the private, and it was like the opposite. I would catch them coming on to the public from the private, even though the public was still getting lots of pressure. They would just hang out in these pockets. So I guess what I learned this year and what I took away from last year was just, you know, putting in that extra effort in the off season, just, just scouting and learning and, you know, reflecting back on years past and what you learned from years past and then, then kind of reapplying it to the next year. So what I, what I took away from my 2021 season, I went into my 2022 scouting, honed in on the areas I wanted to scout real hard, which, which led me to get on these deer quicker. Um, and it really focused where I wanted to hunt when one season came, one season came around. Um, I put in an evening set, didn't see anything. It was, it was near where these bucks were bedding. The, the next set, it was a little bit uh, kind of out of the box thinking, trying to get basically a time of day and a time of the week where there was less pressure, uh, but still near this, this buck bedding, you know, just changing my position based on the wind. And I was able to get it done on the second set. So I don't know, I might have confused listeners, but my, <laughs> my, my takeaway is, right, you just keep learning and reapplying what you're learning and just getting better sure. at your craft. Honing. Yeah, honing your skills. There you go. I mean, that's a really good point. It's like yeah. having a long-term view, right? Like, yeah. The yeah. season is not the end of your hunting. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's a very good know, way to put so, it. So as long as you're taking away something, you know, I think what you said is as long as you're taking away and learning something, like you're winning, mm-hmm. like that's a success. Yep. Like the only success in hunting isn't shooting a deer. It's it's yeah. a long term process. And I have that same outlook. I mean, I, I totally agree with that. Yep, so. I agree. I um I would say mine would be, uh, well, there's really I learned a lot this year. Um, it's tough to really pick just one, so I'm gonna do two. But first and foremost, so. I know we haven't talked about Jake Bush in a while, but <laughs> Who's Jake Bush? Uh, yeah, right. Who? He, uh, Jake Bush. <laughs> he, <laughs> so give away our intro. <laughs> getting to getting to go out and scout and shed hunt with him last year, we had a pretty meaningful conversation about efficiency, and you know all the people. You know, we talked earlier about guys who were like, "Oh, I'm." 60 or 70 sits in or whatever and we're like why that's crazy so he said you know why do all that in hunting season why don't you spread that out in the winter and spring and fall and scout and learn your areas and that way you can go kill in the first week or two or you know whatever quicker um you know and and then have more time to either hunt different states spend with family so you don't get a divorce whatever so, which in my case, I don't. I, I have a wife that was sent to me from God, um, and then the other one for me really uh, was identification of like different oaks and when they drop, like when when an oak, when a particular oak is valuable, really exploded things for me. Learning that a chinkapin is generally going to be dried up early and that's probably better for Kentucky over Ohio a lot of t- well 
from what I saw anyways, um, in Kentucky, uh, the, the chinka pins were all done, you know, by the time October got here, uh, down in Kentucky. And then you get into those burr oaks, which I'm, for those that don't know, these are white oaks that I'm talking about, but, um, you get into the burr oak and they're raining into November and that's where the deer were, you know, my Kentucky buck. I, I actually was kind of joking and I probably like nine people understanded the post I made, but you know, it's like two 30 in the morning and I'm high on coffee driving to Kentucky. And, uh, I thought, ah, we'll make a post. So I was like, well, we're going to look for fresh dirt and rounded leaves today. And those, those bur oaks, if you can identify them, they look a lot like a red oak leaf, but the edges are rounded. And, uh, man, we got into those and we were in the deer. So that was a good day. But uh, anyways, guys, thank you so much for being a part of this. Thank you for everything that you do for our industry, as well as, you know, the film festival and the expo. And uh, we look forward to working together and um, we'll be excited to get this film festival put together and watch your guys' films from this season. So I appreciate y'all coming on today. Thanks to Josh for being <laughs> being my Rick for the day. <laughs> um, this has been Fueled by the Outdoors, and we've been joined by our wonderful friends at Latitude. Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in, and have a good day. See you.